We sipped our beers. It had been fun to reconnect after a while apart, reminiscing about the old days at school. Times like this didn't happen often, but they were fun. The topic of religion often came up, and this evening at the pub was no different. So, it sounds like you believe the Bible is special somehow. That even though it was just a bunch of people that wrote it thousands of years ago, you seem to think it, it contains some special message from God to humans, right? I brace myself for the oncoming onslaught. Well, that's an interesting way to put it. But yeah, yeah, I, I believe that's true. He sipped his beer again and he looked me square in the face. How do you know? Here's your host, Stuart Gray. Respond comes out of my experience as a Christian. Sometimes I've had opportunities to talk about the reasons why Christianity makes sense to me. Other times, I've not had these opportunities, but I wish I had. My aim for this podcast is maybe to open up issues that you might have if you're unconvinced about Christianity so far. And perhaps it'll also give the already convinced some help talking about Christianity with interested friends. Hi, how you doing? So, can we know whether or not the Bible contains God's special words that are meant for everyone to hear? Because if it does, that makes it pretty important, right? Well, in this podcast, what I want to do is to lay out a case to support that claim. But what is the Bible? Well, it contains 66 individual books that were written by various people over a period of about 2,000 years. We need to start somewhere, because it's a big book. So we're going to start in four particular books that historians say were written in the 1st century AD. When these books were initially penned, the author's names weren't attached as part of the text, but the first century Christians knew from both tradition and the reports of their leaders who these authors were. We know these books by the names of the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now both Matthew and John appear to be written by immediate friends, of Jesus of Nazareth. Mark wrote down the memoirs of the disciple Peter. And Luke, well, he was a doctor and he was also a Christian. He travelled as a companion to another significant first century Christian leader named Paul. The Gospels are located in the New Testament and that's where we're going to start. Now, if I'm going to build a robust case that supports the significance of the Bible, I'm going to have to ask an important question about these books. Do the four Gospels tell the truth of what actually happened? Well, here's my first important point. Number one, I think the Gospels record historical details, events that happened in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's a common misconception today that the Gospel accounts of Jesus were written so long after the events that they kind of took on a a legendary quality over time. The idea goes that As 
time went on, people told taller and taller stories about the man Jesus of Nazareth after his death. And these stories all got written down and, and passed on, and, and eventually we, we receive them today through the pages of the Bible. Yet what's interesting is, most historians don't treat the Gospels this way. Although I'll grant you many sceptics will dismiss them online, yet scholars take a more sober approach to these documents. For example, Dr Peter Williams from Cambridge University says the Gospels record history, not fiction. Dr Williams specialises in Hebrew language and the early translation of the Bible and he's written numerous peer-reviewed articles on this subject. I think that the, probably the, the biggest thing is this idea that there's just a, a, a huge gap between Jesus and the Gospels um, and that these could have been made up by people just a very long time later. And, you know, we know this isn't the case. Even those who are sceptical scholars, uh, people who have actually studied things, would accept that the, the gap between Jesus and the Gospels is far shorter than probably the public imagination thinks. That's a quote from a recent interview he did with John Dixon on the Undeceptions podcast. If you're interested, I'd really encourage you to check that out. The thing is, whether the Bible's special or not, it's first a historical document. Well, historians are able to date pretty accurately when ancient documents were written down by studying what they say. For example, the Roman Emperor at the time of Jesus was called Tiberius. Now there are four surviving main biographical accounts of Tiberius and the best one is from the Roman historian Tacitus that was written around AD 116, early in the second century. Now that's 79 years after the death of the Roman Emperor Tiberius in 37 AD. So what do we have in the Gospels? Well, the earliest biographical account of Jesus is Mark's Gospel, estimated to have been written around AD 60. Now this dating is based on the hints within the text that mention the Jewish temple in Jerusalem that the Romans eventually destroyed uh, in uh, 70 AD. Also, the other synoptic Gospels use Mark as a source. We can see that in the text. And so that places Mark's authorship at around 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Let's consider this for a moment. I said the biography of Emperor Tiberius was written 79 years after his death. Now compared to the Tiberius bio, the first account of Jesus was written much closer to the events it describes. Tacitus wrote the Tiberius bio He's a respected historical source on Rome and Emperor Tiberius, even though the time of his writing is roughly 80 years after the man's death. This shows that the Gospels are written much closer to the events, and so they are very credible historical sources. Why? Because they were written much closer to the events that they describe. The closer an ancient document is to the event it describes, the better. Historians get excited when they get two documents of that sort of quality. But in the New Testament, we have multiple sources. Ah, someone replies, hang on a minute. They were written by people who were clearly biased towards Christianity. Well, yes, but I'm sorry. Every author has a position of bias. Bias does not automatically make an author an unreliable source of information. In fact, you could argue that a passionate person 
concerned with getting the details out there, is more likely to research and get the details correct and not attempt to mislead either intentionally or by accident. So why is it unreasonable to assume that Mark's gospel aims at telling the truth? Now I'm arguing here that the gospels record history. And I'm saying that because historians view them as books of history, not fiction. Here are three reasons that the gospels are viewed as history. Number one, they get little details right. For example, the geography of first century Israel and the names of towns are correct for the period. The authors clearly know a lot about the area where all the action takes place. Here's Dr. Williams again. I think incidental details often do help um, build you a very clear picture of an author. So one of the things you look at when you look at literature is often what you could call the implied author. Um, and you could say, what can we infer about the author from this? Because um, that there's the author's display, uh, knowledge is on display. So we, we start building up a picture, for instance, of authors who knew quite a lot about uh, the um, Judea and Galilee and so on. Um, that's significant. At least it um, disproves the hypotheses uh, that these people were ignorant of um, the uh, time and place of Jesus. That that's that's all relevant. Um, also, sometimes people have an idea. What he's saying is that these little details give these books a ring of truth about them. Now, sometimes you'll hear people suggest that the gospel stories were corrupted in the telling and. And the miracles they report are the result of fictional additions. When Jesus heals the sick or when he's raised from the dead himself. Well, you would not expect to find corrupted text containing big fictional events surrounded by accurate incidental details. Uh, time and place of Jesus, that, that's, that's all relevant. Um, also, sometimes people have an idea that the stories about Jesus being corrupted by being told and retold many times. And the problem with that hypothesis and the small details is if there's a version of that hypothesis that requires the central bit of the story to be corrupted, while the peripheral bits, the de small details, get left in place. Because there isn't really a mechanism of having se selective corruption of information like that. So if someone, for instance, says, well, the miracles of Jesus got exaggerated as they were told from one person to another, they didn't really happen, but all the incidental details around the miracles, they, they're correctly preserved, that's, uh, that doesn't really have much explanatory power. It, it, it's, it's, um, you know, it requires something we, we can't find parallels for. Here's a second reason the Gospels are history. Number two, because the Gospels record undesigned coincidences. What do I mean by that? Well, we've got four Gospel documents. The earliest accounts that were ratified by the leadership of the church in the first century. They each tell the Jesus story from a slightly different angle. Yet there is, at the same time, subtle agreement between different gospel texts on little trivial details. Here's an example. Mark records the incident of Jesus feeding the 5,000 in Mark chapter 6. And he makes this throwaway comment about people always coming and going when it was all happening. Now what's that about? Well, Mark doesn't elaborate. Yet if we flip over to John's gospel and look at his account of the feeding of the 5,000, John explains what was going on. He says in chapter 6, verse 4, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, this was the big event in the Jewish calendar. 
Think Christmas time for us Westerners. That's why people were travelling about or coming and going. You see, to understand what all the travelling was about, we need to take both Mark and John together as interlocking pieces to get the full picture. And the details dovetail in a way that would be impossible for these different authors to fabricate. These coincidences give a big sign for authenticity of the Gospels. And there are actually many instances of such undesigned coincidences across the Gospels. So why am I saying I think the Bible contains God's special words? Well, first of all, it presents to us an account of history, not fiction. Now you might say, well, okay, someone can accurately record historical events without those events being significant in any way at all. So what makes what the Gospels say so significant and worth taking any notice of? Why do we need to care? Because what we read in the Gospels tells us that Jesus personally claimed to be God. Now this is a big part of the historical account that many people forget about when they think about Jesus. You know, he wasn't just a, a wise dude spouting wisdom and peace to the people that he met on the road. Well, no, he actually made claims about himself that, on the face of it, sound pretty absurd. Jesus claimed the authority that only God would be able to possess if he exists. For example, Jesus claimed to be able to control nature. You know, Mark records an incident where he was in a boat with his friends and they, they hit a storm. And uh, what the text says is, Jesus got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! The wind died down and it was completely calm. You can find that in Mark 4 verse 39. Now we might roll our eyes at this, but remember, all I'm saying at the moment is that Jesus is reported to have claimed divine authority in the Gospels. There are more instances of this. You know, he claims to speak for God. He claims to be, have the ability to forgive sins and to have authority over the final judgment of all people. And he also adopted some really technical titles from ancient Judaism. If you've heard words like Messiah, well, to an ancient Jew, that points to Jesus' divinity. Now, if I was talking to someone today who claimed to be God, I'd probably want to keep my distance. Yet at the time, Jesus was evidently treated with respect by his friends and also with hostility by his enemies. According to the record, both of these groups took his claims of divinity very seriously indeed. So, here's what we're saying. The Gospels present us a, a historical account which records Jesus claims to be God himself. There is a third step in my argument for the special nature of the Bible. Here it is. Step three. God authenticated Jesus' radical claims by raising him from the dead. All the accounts agree that Jesus died on a Roman cross, but they also agree that he rose from the dead a few days later. The historical account contains five historical facts that all four documents agree on. And whether we believe Jesus rose from the dead or not, we've got to account for these five facts as we seek to explain what really happened. Here's the first one. Jesus died by Roman crucifixion. Here's the second one. Jesus' tomb was found empty. Third one. Jesus' disciples claimed that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. 
Here's the fourth one. The Christian persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, was radically changed into a proclaimer of Christianity. And here's the fifth fact that we need to explain. Jesus' sceptical brother James also changed and became a Christian leader. What might explain these five facts? We're going to delve into the possibilities next week. and But what we're going to find is that the most common ideas don't really account very well for the historical evidence we've got. A purely naturalistic answer for Jesus' resurrection doesn't fit with the evidence. If God raised Jesus from the dead, no wonder these five facts are written in the historical record. So what I'm saying is this. The Gospels are history. Jesus claimed to be God. He was crucified by the Roman establishment occupying Israel at the time. And he subsequently appeared to his friends alive again, raised from the dead. But how does all this help me argue that the Bible is somehow special? Well, here's the fourth step of my argument. We read that Jesus taught the divine inspiration and the authority of Scripture. He recognised the authority of our Old Testament, which he himself read and actually grew up with. And we know that because he said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfil it. He also often submitted to the moral authority of the Old Testament, saying things like, it is written, as he was referring back to it. Not only that, but he he enabled his first disciples and prepared them to be the ones that would write the New Testament, where the Gospels are located today in the Bible. See, as a result, the apostles, Peter, Paul and the others, recognised that they wrote this stuff down with Jesus' authority. Here's where we've gotten to. The Gospels are history. Jesus claimed to be God. He was crucified by the establishment. And his friends subsequently reported that he appeared to them alive again, raised from the dead. And this same Jesus taught that the Old Covenant, or the Old Testament in the Bible as we read it today, that came from God as his special words to Jewish people. So here's the conclusion. Step five. Since Jesus is divine, his endorsement of the Bible carries the authority of God. You see, this is why I think it's reasonable to say that the Bible contains God's special words for people, even us today. It all hinges on the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who he was, what he did. Let's press pause for a second. You know, the New Testament says this. Every part of scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word we're put together and shaped up for the tasks that God has for us. If you want to find that reference, it's in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Here's the thing. If the Bible really comes from God, then it's not just a little special. It's the most special communication we're ever going to hear. You know, these days I hear so many people saying things like, oh, you know, I wish I knew what my life's purpose was. You know, is there any hope? (laughs) Are we going to get out of this alive or not? But surely if God's written to people, 
He's going to answer these sorts of questions for us. And he's also going to give us help that we didn't even expect. That was Jesus' mission all along. Let's put it another way. God will train us to live and shape us up for the tasks that he's built us for. And that's got to be an amazing thought. There is hope for our lives. We are built for a purpose. And God wants to speak to us. It seems to me that if it's even possible, the special nature of the Bible, if it's possible that that's true, then surely it's really worth our time to check it out. Okay, reflection over. Let's finish the podcast. In this podcast, I've argued that the whole Bible is a book that turns out to be a book that's just too important to ignore. And that importance is linked to the person of Jesus himself. He was no ordinary person, according to the Bible's account of him. Jesus of Nazareth's friends claimed that he appeared to them, raised from the dead. How likely is that claim? Well, we're going to look at that question next week. Let me know what you think about this podcast. I know you'll tweet me about it. And if you're interested in exploring more, why not check out the Respond blog? You can find it at respondblogs.wordpress.com. See ya.